Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, David Wilson will join us to discuss the this view of life. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. evolution, as proposed by Charles Darwin, has completely revolutionized biology, but how widely can the theory be applied? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Professor David Sloan Wilson. Professor Wilson is the SUNY Distinguished Professor of Biology and Anthropology at Binghamton University. He has written numerous scientific and popular works, including Evolution for Everyone, The Neighborhood Project, Does Altruism Exist?, and Darwin's Cathedral. His new book, This View of Life, he explores this issue for a general audience. And Professor Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks to you, Charles. Well, it's certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book you've written here, which you applied evolution to all aspects of human endeavors. I'm curious why you decided to write this book. Well, the book is a, a continuation of my um, of my efforts for my whole life, really, to expand evolutionary theory beyond the uh, biological sciences to include all things human. Uh, I think what's new about this book is that it can become so immensely uh, practical and that these ideas, in addition to answering the big questions about humanity, can also be used as a practical toolkit in the same way that a carpenter and plumber arrives at a job and sizes it up and pulls out the right tool. We can, uh, we can uh, use evolutionary theory to address uh, uh, basically policy issues of all sorts. And just to be clear, when we discuss uh, evolutionary theory, what aspects of the theory or what basic concept are we trying to apply to these different endeavors? Well, for most people, evolution means genetic evolution, and that's for good reason, because uh, evolutionary biologists themselves took a constricted view and for the most part studied only genetic evolution. But more broadly put, um, evolution extends to all of the fast-paced processes taking place around us, what we call cultural change, and even our personal change as open-ended uh, systems. Each one of us is an evolving system in its own right. So as soon as we think about evolution in this much broader sense, that's why we can, we can um, uh, use these ideas, the same toolkit that was developed for genetic evolution, to, uh, to manage to consciously manage uh, some of these uh, fast-paced changes taking place around us. And if we don't manage them, then evolution will still take place, uh, but evolution will become the problem rather than the solution. The concept, the term is in popular lexicon, but maybe sometimes used more loosely in a specific sort of set of ideas behind applying evolution more strictly. You make a good point, Charles, that uh, words like evolve, keywords like evolve and adapt are used in the vernacular all the time. Uh, when we talk about uh, wanting to accomplish uh, a change. And so, but what this view of life provides is a, uh, a much more comprehensive set of, uh, of tools. I'll just list a couple. One is the idea of multi-level 
selection. Uh, the idea that uh, that if we want to have a society in, in, in a large cooperative sense, then that's not so easy because of disruptive self-serving behavior. So basically how to get cooperation uh, to, um, to uh, win a Darwinian contest requires some uh, specific uh, know-how. And then there's the idea of evolutionary mismatch, that if the way we behave is adapted to some past environment, and if that environment changes, then uh, those adaptations can tragically misfire. So these are a couple of ideas that are more specific than just talking about uh, evolving and adapting in some kind of you know, common language sense. And it's really because of our ability to recognize that the circumstances have changed that we now can try and select for particular circumstances, traits that might be more beneficial for the future. Yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, in addition to evolution, we have alternative narratives that are steering our behavior. And one of those narratives is the idea of the invisible hand. that Somehow we can all go about maximizing our self-interest and corporations can go about maximizing their profits and that somehow this is going to um, benefit the common good, as if led by an invisible hand. It turns out that that is profoundly untrue. If that wasn't obvious to you before, then uh, just a little knowledge of evolution will reveal that that is profoundly untrue. And if that's not the case, if it's not the case that we can just go about uh, maximizing our self-interest, then what do we need to do? And it's there where evolution comes in big time. I mean, this is certainly challenging because it, it requires, as you put it, not really sort of maximize their own self-interest, but work together as that of a whole. Well, in the first place, that comes naturally to us as a species at the scale of small groups and when certain conditions are met. The reason that we're such a special ape and different from all other apes is because we found the means way back then, our ancestors did, to very effectively suppress bullying and other forms of self-serving behaviors and so there and so then to function as a team so in some respects we are the teamwork species and that is manifested most easily in small groups uh, but even then requires some special conditions which i outline in the book so so what's needed and what's really not so difficult is to structure our small groups so that um, they can function in cooperative mode and then for those small groups to function as cells in the construction of multicellular societies. So I think you can see that there's quite a specific plan that uh, can be put into place that once again goes beyond just talking about adapting and evolving in some generic sense. Certainly, you know, the mechanisms of evolution are sort of agnostic to whether things wind up being good or bad. It's just exactly, exactly, Charles. That's the whole. That's the whole. That's the whole challenge. That uh, evolution does not make everything nice. Mother Nature is not a moral place. There's, I mean, if other species would be, we wouldn't want to live like, like them. And in human society, we have the best and the, and the uh, worst. So very often, evolution results in in behaviors that benefit me but not you, us but not them, our short-term benefit but not our long-term benefit. This is what evolution will will uh, result in um, if we don't manage it, if we do not become wise managers of evolutionary processes. But with enough knowledge, we could actually align evolutionary pressures so that we can achieve our 
um, our goals. Ultimately, the goal of of, uh, of the global the global good. At the end of the day, this leads to a powerful justification for a whole Earth um, ethic. And isn't that curious? Because for so many people, evolution means the justification of inequality. And really what it means is the justification of, of an ethics for the whole world. What do you think this requires practically then for this sort of thing to occur? Uh, a major theme of the book is that the theory decides what you can observe. Um, um, nothing is obvious. Nothing is simple or complex all by itself, only against the background of, um, of um, other beliefs. And so take something like, um, like my book. Uh, which might, depending upon where you're coming from, you know, what's already in your head, you might find it simple or challenging. But at the end of the day, uh, just as Thomas Huxley said, how stupid of me not to have thought of that when he first encountered uh, Darwin's theory, I end my book by saying, I look forward to the day when the whole world will be saying, along with Thomas Huxley, how stupid of us not to have thought of that uh, this way of thinking can really become second nature. And uh, as to whether I accomplish that in the pages of my book or uh, nearly open the door to it, then I think that is what is, uh, what is uh, so badly needed. We were just speaking with Professor David Sloan Wilson, his new book, This View of Life, Completing the Darwinian Revolution. And Professor Wilson, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks to you, Charles. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.